Welcome to the Recappery, the History Chicks Media Recap Emporium. The Recappery is in session. Today, we are going to cover Sofia Coppola's 2006 costume epic Marie Antoinette, starring Kirsten Dunst. And let's just jump right in. Although I will tell you, this is going to be a two-parter. As the movie runs about two hours, and we typically double the running time with our commentary, that would leave you with a four-hour podcast. So rather than inflict that upon you, we are going to go ahead and split that into two parts. And here we go. The Netflix synopsis is, This unconventional costume drama charts the rise of a young queen and her luxuriously confining lifestyle, which ultimately led to her undoing. That's pretty spot on. I mean, boring, but spot on. It is. And I'm assuming that you have your own summary of the movie. A visually stunning coming-of-age tale set in a factual dystopian past. A young girl fails to see the world's realities as she focuses on her sex life until she is forced to focus on her family's actual lives. Also, cute shoes and great music. <laughs> okay. Um, so I then will just go with, uh, here is my offering for a synopsis via Kirsten Dunst herself. This is a history of feelings, not a history of facts. Nice. It's good because there's not a lot of dialogue either. <laughs> That's true. And feelings don't necessarily have dialogue. Also true. Okay, so what we see when we open up is we see part of the credits um, interrupted by a relatively unrelated scene of Marie Antoinette, a cake and a maid. Yeah, this is this really sets the tone for the movie. The music starts. It's totally black. It's a total frontal. And then you hear the music and then words flash on the screen. They're bright pink on a black screen. And there's this rock punk uh, music going in the background. It's Gang of Fours. Natural's not in it. Blasting while these hot pink words flash. And then there's Kirsten Dunst laying on a chaise lounge with a maid at her feet trying on shoes. And she just looks all come hithery. And it's just aquas and pinks and whites and just visually stunning. So in that, just that first 30 seconds, you have the feeling of this movie. However, do you have the feeling of the movie? Because what I took it as is this, this little cut scene here mm -hmm. is supposed to be like, this is history's view of the person you're about to see. Black lipstick. She's such a like, whatever, hussy, dragging your finger through the cake, looking at you like, what? of it. Laziness and luxury and nothing else. And that's what history, unfortunately, has told you Marie Antoinette herself is all about. And you're back out to more of the credits. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, that's, a, that's beautiful. Yes, I completely agree with you. I just mean like the visuals of it. Right. Because for this movie, the visuals are my absolute favorite part. Well, I have to tell you, the soundtrack itself is amazing. And some people did not like this 80s soundtrack, but I loved that she did this because here's why. You don't want to see it as history, but as someone's um, now. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like you need to get that, like a Knight's Tale did it five mm -hmm. years earlier. They're at a joust and they're like, we will, we will rock you. And the whole crowd was into it. Mm -hmm. Whatever kind of music they were playing evoked the same feeling in the heart of the onlooker, mm -hmm. you know, that yeah. that song does now. So I think that that soundtrack oh, was just brilliant. Just brilliant. Because um, it yeah. invoked the feeling of now in a time 
far, far away. And I, I thought it was brilliant. And Sofia Coppola is a fellow Gen Xer. So I think we were both watching MTV's 120 Minutes, which was their alternative show that was only on from 11 p.m. to 1 in the morning. When a certain brand of Gen Xer was always awake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bought this two CD set right when it came out. I don't oh, really? to play it anymore. There's no <laughs> CD machine in this house anymore. Uh, so I don't know what I'm going to do with it. It exists. Um, That's funny. You know what? I did not see this when it first came out because it was 2006 and I had two uh, elementary school age children and a baby. So what's my excuse? Because I had a baby. I know, but I'm just saying I never went to the movies. I oh. There was years where I never went to the movies and I never read a book for fun. <laughs> I mean, years. And 2006 was in that window. So there, after the credits, are scenes of Marie Antoinette's Austrian childhood. We see her waking up um, and, you know, kind of like her little morning routine. We do have a card. It says Austria 1768. For the history nuts among you, that is actually a photograph of Belvedere Palace. Not Schönbrunn, which is what we know Marie Antoinette loved for her holiday house, and not Hofburg, where she really, you know, was born and grew up. Neither of those mm -hmm. palaces. This is Belvedere. And and people will say, even the IMDB, that it is completely inaccurate to have a picture of that palace, given that is not where she woke up, etc. Now, I can guarantee you that's the one that was available and affordable. And the implication in the movie is that she left the Belvedere Palace to go to France. But it did have a role to play in her life. I mean, that palace was kind of in um, disrepair and it was kind of more like a, something you hold on to as an asset. But four days before this movie opens, uh, well, four days in Marie Antoinette's life, um, her mother had um, like refurbished the bottom couple of floors of this palace so that she could have a grand masked ball to celebrate her daughter's marriage. Two days before this, Marie Antoinette had married her new husband long distance by proxy. Mm -hmm. She couldn't travel as a as a single woman. She could only travel as a married woman. And so having been married, air quotes, uh, her brother stood in for her husband in the marriage ceremony. She was now a legitimately married woman and she had all the um, all the honors afforded to a married woman. Plus, she was now technically French. She was technically the Dauphine of France. So the Dauphine of France wakes up in her bed with her messy hair and plays with her dog. And you can see that she's getting dressed. And I think that these scenes show two things, that she is absolutely accustomed to such luxury to the point of taking it for granted. Mm -hmm. I mean, she grew up among unimaginable wealth. And then also that she is very, very young. Yeah. And it actually shows you that Kirsten Dunst, who was 23 when this was being filmed, can play a 14-year-old. I think she's believable. Yeah, me too. She goes from 14 to 38 in this movie. And I thought she traveled it a lot better than a lot of actresses do. Yeah. The double doors open after she travels through some hallways lined with footmen um, to admit Marie Antoinette to see her mother. This is the Empress Maria Theresa. We can tell she does not have a super close relationship with her mother. There is fear in her eyes. <laughs> Marie was the youngest daughter. So her relationship to her mother out of 16 children wasn't close. How could it possibly be? They had gotten a lot more time together this past year after the French marriage was in question. And Marie Theresa realized how unprepared her daughter really was for 
anything resembling real life. You mm-hmm. know, when you are that far at the end of a big, big family, how shall I say this? A lot of behavior got swept under the rug and a lot of education got neglected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way. If you don't know anything about Marie Antoinette, an important fact here is that she was not expected to marry the Dauphin of France. She wasn't even on the radar, but all of her older sisters, she had 11 sisters, but they either died or they had to get married off into other relationships. It's fascinating. I don't think we should go into it here, but it was like one sister after another got out of the running to marry the future king of France until only Marie was left. Yeah, her slightly older sister, who she called Charlotte, but we'll hear later as Carolina, was probably the one that was supposed to go. But their older sister, Josepha, had been about to go be the bride of Ferdinand, the king of Naples and Sicily. Unfortunately, she died of smallpox on the very day that she was supposed to set out on her journey. Some princess had to be sent Nobody cared who. One princess is just like another one, which is sad, really. Mm-hmm. And so they sent Charlotte instead. Um, Charlotte would have been a stronger queen of France, I will tell you right now. She's a stronger everything. So mm-hmm. for one thing, uh, Carolina, as she was known, had 18 children. <laughs> uh, history could have been different, but it wasn't. Yeah. She, you, you realize she's just leaving. I mean, she's... She got up out of bed with her dog Mm -hmm. and left forever. It was so (laughs) casual. It kind of shocked me the first time I saw it. I'm like, wait, what? She's just (laughs) gone. Her mother had said, all eyes will be upon you. You know, bring credit on me. I embrace you casually with no sense of warmth. And then she's out. (laughs) (laughs) You know what really surprised me the second time I watched this is that I said, oh, my goodness, whoever's playing Maria Teresa is wonderful. Who is that? It's Mary Ann Faithful, the rocker. Blew my mind. I loved it. I thought I she have was to say, great. the casting often is very interesting to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, there is not too much sadness in leaving. Um, I guess you're prepared to leave if you are an archduchess. In reality, she left from Schönbrunn, Marie Antoinette, and was very, very sad indeed, and kept mm-hmm. looking back and crying. But movie Marie Antoinette, If leaving the other palace, that palace was never her home. It was really just used for that ball and some parties here and there. And the family never lived there. Movie Marie Antoinette does not care about that house. Um, Now, as far as her, you know, leaving and not crying and stuff, I wonder if when Marie left, if she thought maybe she'd see them at some point. It was just like a road trip. That's the impression in the movie you certainly get. She hops into the car and she heads off with her girlfriends. Yes, I guess. There's scenes of travel um, is what we see next for inside and outside. There's assorted forests and she's got a couple of companions in the coach with her. Um, That was considered a real honor, by the way. She shows them her photo and they just giggle. They're just girls. They're bored often. They have Mm -hmm. a picnic. They're asleep. There's no iPads. There's nothing to do. And I don't think you could really read in a coach because it would juggle up up and down too much to read. Not that Marie Antoinette would read anyway. No. But, um, the movie makes it seem like they left and maybe took a couple days. There was one costume change, but in fact, it took almost three weeks to even get to the handover ceremony. Mm-hmm. And it seems like in the movie that they were just in the carriages the whole time, maybe stopped to have a potty break or a picnic or whatever. 
But in reality, they were stopping all along the way. It was quite a tour and they had been all planned ahead of time and having them come through to their village or to stay with someone at their castle was a big honor. And I have to tell you, I get why it happened just on a sheer financial situation. Because on the Austrian side anyway, I'm not 100% sure about the French side, but on the Austrian end, there were 21 state coaches, 36 carriages, 450 horses, over 250 people, including a florist. I'm not Uh sure why. You can see where Sofia Coppola wanted to economize with this very abbreviated entourage and tour. Because our Uh, You know, think about how many even extras you'd have to hire just to show one visit welcoming Mm -hmm. her to a city. And so I can kind of see and it's not narratively that necessary. So I see why they cut it out. You know what they also had? They had a sugar inspector. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What a niche job, right? I don't know if they doubled as something else, you know, a carrot inspector or whatever, but they're. (laughs) title was sugar inspector (laughs) i kind of wonder if it's one of those things like what is that tom hanks movie about the little the band it's like well if you want your girlfriend to travel with you she's got to be a seamstress like so if you want your son to travel with us he's got to have a title oh yeah it was it well what was that movie it's named after that That thing you do that thing you do now that song is in my head thank you very much (laughs) so we get to the handover both words are capitalized (laughs) the coach carrying marie antoinette with her one costume change Mm -hmm. see i noticed they at least you know it's been a different day it's been many different days but anyway she has a yellow dress on it pulls up to some kind of a pavilion we have a little exposition um from a character because that's the only way to get this across the concept is true yes um not ed shuturn as they say in the movie, but 25 miles from there on an island in the middle of the Rhine. Um, it was very important to everyone. It just, just kills me. It happened over and over to princesses coming from near and far that they had to make a structure exactly in the middle between the two countries. And then there was this formal crossing of the borders. It seemed like a needless expense and needless trouble, but that's what Versailles is all about. <laughs> yeah, so. and that is a great introduction to Versailles, but I kind of like it as a ceremony. I'm big on ceremonies in life. Something wonderful happens, you need to make a ceremony of some sort out of it. So as far as the ceremonial aspects, I love this. I love that they did this. And this was like thrown together and they were just grabbing things from anyone in the area. It was fairly large, so they needed furniture. They just grabbed whatever. It was slapped up. But it's beautiful in this movie. (laughs) It is. It is. It was a big deal. So Marie Antoinette is introduced to the mistress of her household. And little Marie Antoinette, full of joy at meeting the person she thinks is going to be her new mother figure. Mm -hmm. Or maybe even her new nanny figure, because I don't know how motherly her mother was. But she had people, ladies, in her entourage in Austria that treated her as if she were their daughter. And so to come here, oh, this is the new one of those. I'm going to give her a hug. I'm so happy that we're going to be together. And of course, that is not done with a capital N and a D. And (laughs) it was made quite obvious that yes, that was not appropriate. And in real life, Marie Antoinette, who had cried at meeting her, wiped her tears and said, Madame, I apologize. I will try to remember that I am a French woman now. That would have been lovely to put into this scene. I guess it does a good job of showing what 
kind of environment she was coming from and what type she was going to. The harsh differences between the two. So Marie Antoinette is stripped of her Austrian identity and given a new French one. And yes, they took everything, including the dog. Although, I don't know how she did it. Marie Antoinette kept her mother's watch, I think, um, clutched in her fist. Mm-hmm. She made it through that ceremony with her mother's watch. I don't know where she put it <laughs> other than her hand. I'm telling you right now because they saw it all. And so did we. Um, it was a good photo moment. And um, 10 points to Kirsten Dunst for not being afraid of some um, booty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we covered this in the Marie Antoinette episode. But at this point, her getting dressed naked in front of people like that would have been no big deal. It's something she would have been used to having people dress her from the bottom up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not as big of a deal to her. I know we're so shocked, like, oh, my God, she's naked and there's the people. But honestly, (laughs) she's been dressed like a doll since birth. That part is less stressful to her than the dog leaving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the dog leaving is the thing that just gets her to cry the most. She says goodbye to her friends. And in real life, she had passed them little notes to take back with them to family members and whoever. But um, she's fine. And then they take the dog and she's like, no. And then she puts all of her tears into the dogs leaving, which was really sad. That was her little buddy. Spoiler alert, she gets the dog back later. (laughs) (laughs) So Louis Auguste, that's Marie Antoinette's husband. Let's call him. Actually, let's just call him Louis and we'll call the king the king. That's easier. They're all Louis going way back and going way forward. They're Louis. Louis, Louis, Louis. Louis' own mother had been handed over in this exact same place. So there's a big history to this place. That's lovely history. See, that adds to the ceremony of it. So we have the photo moment. She's been dressed in the French fashion, which is, to my mind, at least this particular outfit, not as attractive as when she came in. No, I agree. And it's a lot more fabric and a lot more detail and a lot more ornamentation and a lot more that she didn't need on to our fashion eye. But I thought it was interesting that they picked the same color that she had left um, Austria in. She was in a, another blue dress, except right. this one is very different. This is very Frenchified. Yeah, everything seems a lot more artificial. And, that, you know, that's saying something because the Austrian court was very Baroque, too. But for some reason, we had been able to glimpse Marie Antoinette with her hair down in a simple ribbon. Um, the clothing seemed like perhaps you could move around a little bit in. But now here you are strapped up in your satin and unable to move. Yeah, that's right. And your hair is done. I mean, her hair was in these tight curls at this point and a big updo. And the only ribbon was around her neck, but even that had bling on it. So the simple ribbon that she had before has morphed. So we see her traveling to Versailles to see her new home. And again, the movie really compresses time because we've got at least another week going between the handoff and even meeting Louis Auguste. And then there's some more time in between that and going to Versailles. You know, you meet the family and then they stayed out from the court for a while, getting to know each other as a family for a couple of days before they went to Versailles. So it really does seem to our movie eyes as if she got in a carriage alone and simply went straight to Versailles. And stopped in the woods. Yeah, but seriously, I mean, cities welcomed her with cheering and flowers and um, they made all the unattractive people stay indoors. I'm serious. (laughs) France is something else. But um, movie Marie Antoinette heads right to the forest of Compiègne and 
The casting here just amazes me. You've got Mary Catherine Gallagher of Saturday Night Live. You've got <laughs> Moaning know. Myrtle from Harry Potter. Um, Agent Zed from Men in Black. Actually, I like Rip Torn as the king. Uh, what do you think of everybody's voices? I know this was a conscious choice to have very American voices. Some of the delivery is pretty flat to me. I was kind of taken out of the scene because of Molly Shannon. It didn't seem like it fit at all. I was like waiting for her to do, go into a skit, you know, a comedy skit. So that took a while. But yeah, the American accents, I don't know if that was a good call. A lot of times, you know, they use British accents, but I don't think any of those people could. The American accent part doesn't bother me. It makes just as much sense for, say, Romans to speak with an American accent as a British one, as they spoke neither one. But I don't know. Some of the delivery just seemed very casual. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. So they don't have time to establish their characters through the words. So maybe that's why it sounds stunted. But I agree with you. I just... Something just... else to me that seemed off. Okay, get this. So the king's carriage pulls up. They know what it looks like. This is the daughters, okay? His daughters, the king's daughters, those aunts, Molly Shannon and... Um, Moni Myrtle. <laughs> Her actual name is Shirley Henderson. Um, they know what their father's carriage looks like. They know, I mean, they're 37 and 36. They know that one curtsies when the king comes, right? But there's all this awkward looking at each other like, is it time? And then the curtsies themselves are not very practiced. Okay. Hmm. Maybe I didn't... their heels were sinking in the mud. I don't know. Like, you know, oh. if it's time, girl, you've had 37 <laughs> years of practice. I don't know. Seemed weird to me. That that took me out even more than the American accents. And people, you are going to think that conversation between the king and the Duc de Choiseul about Marie Antoinette's bosom is outrageous. Yes, it is. But it is also historically accurate. <laughs> yeah. You had said a little bit earlier that you liked Rip Torn in this role, and I did too. I mean, he does lechery like nobody else. Yeah. How's her bosom? And the Duke is like, I have not looked at the Archduchess's bosom. Oh, you didn't? That's usually the first thing I look at. <laughs> but I'm bummed. Well, he's Funny. super disappointed, by the way, if that's if he's expecting something in that department, because it is not there. I know. And he does take a peek. <laughs> There's an exaggerated peek right there. Uh, well, anyway, Marie Antoinette gets there and she knows how to curtsy. My friends, princesses, take a look at Marie Antoinette curtsying and she knows how to charm the king. I love how she calls him my dear grandfather king and how her eyes just travel all over the three boys before she knows which one is her husband. It was good acting. It was good mm -hmm. acting. Think about that. You're already married. Your whole future life depends on someone you're about to meet think about how stressful that is <laughs> there's two that are in black suits and one in red which one do you think is the guy you're going to marry i actually searched her face for signs of disappointment and didn't find any i mean not that it doesn't matter anyway it's too late you're married mm -hmm. um, but i i actually went back to see if there was any disappointment and there was not no the expression that i did see when she did that curtsy was look how cool i am look at how good i curtsy i learned everything well, she was very proud of her grace. That's the one thing people could genuinely praise her for, her grace and her elegance of movement. And so she knew this is one thing I can shine at. I might suck at everything else, but this, I got this. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. But that meeting, whoo, that meeting is absolutely awkward. I, I So awkward. <laughs> With 
Louis? Yes. Oh, yeah. And we don't know really what uh, Louis thought in real life. In his journal, he only wrote, meeting with Madame Le Dauphine today. That's all he wrote in his journal, even though he was like a journalist. He like wrote everything. That's all he wrote. So we don't know how he felt. But in this movie, all he says is, welcome, Madame. That's it. Uh, and if you're wondering about the aunt's antagonism, um, I hope you like apple strudel. <laughs> Austria and France had been assorted levels of bitter enemies for like 300 years. It was only within the past 15 years, that is to say, the entirety of Marie Antoinette's lifetime that Austria and France were on the same side of anything major. So this, quote, alliance was not what anyone adult in France would be used to. You know, Austrians were the enemy, the end. Um, Marie Antoinette was the ambassador that was supposed to cement the new friendship. And I have to say that is a lot to put on a teenage girl, you know, to oh. erase 300 years of antagonism with this yeah. curtsy. Technically, I guess what we're looking for in, in this sort of ambassador is a boy baby that is half French and half Austrian, who would be the true ambassador. She's just the vessel. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. And in real life, the aunt, there was actually three aunts. They only show two, but they were kind of like that. They called her the Austrian, like with disdain. Adelaide was her name, the other aunt that was the instigator and the boss and the ringleader of all the mischief. It's like that aunt didn't get included in the movie at all. And she's the one that caused all the trouble. I don't know. I thought, I wondered that as soon as I knew there was three aunts. And she was the, supposed to be the pretty one, too. So you missed a whole opportunity of like mm -hmm. rivalry and I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. That was an interesting omission. Yeah. Well, maybe they didn't have a third person <laughs> that they wanted to cast. I don't know. So we see her arrival in the courtyard at Versailles, which is, to put it mildly, extraordinarily unfriendly as a reception. Everyone's regarding her as an agent of a foreign power and they cannot prevent her from coming, but they don't have to like it. You know, mm -hmm. um, the little kids... Just see a pretty princess who's like five years older than they are. Yikes. <laughs> now, this really was filmed at Versailles. I, I love that they filmed this at Versailles. I think that that makes this movie. The most of what you see at Versailles is the outdoor areas, you know, like the gardens and the fountains and things. You'll also see Marie Antoinette's bedroom suite. Um, the Hall of Mirrors was also filmed there. They had um, kind of a hard road to hoe because they actually had to film sometimes while Versailles was open for visitors. <laughs> so there was a time when Jason Schwartzman, who plays Louis Auguste, was in the garden and encountered some visitors, and he said he did not break character. So I wonder what their story is. <laughs> they probably just thought, oh, now how funny, a reenactor. Yeah, that's right. It's like a living history museum. I did not know that. Rick Steves didn't tell us that. <laughs> So other houses stood in for other rooms, kind of unimportant rooms, um, the cabinet chamber, you know, some of the dining rooms and stuff. So not everything was filmed at Versailles, but a lot was. Mm -hmm. Also, as she walks in to her quarters, she is holding the hand of a little girl. And the little girl is supposed to be her new husband's little sister, Elizabeth, who at the time was six. But guess who it is in real life? It's Sofia Coppola's little daughter, Romy. Yay. I, in real life, um, Marie did hang out with the kids. You know, she did befriend a lot of these children. You see them around her, you know, for a good chunk of this movie. And that it really happened. So I, I feel like I need to point out the actual things that really happened. There's a lot of them. And I was noticing that people like the help 
who were mm-hmm. still gorgeously dressed, by the way, but you can tell who the maids and the, um, uh, I guess, footmen are. They bow so deeply to Marie Antoinette. It is something else. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of tell the rank of people by how much they bow. Mm-hmm. I love that. As you come into Marie Antoinette's rooms, woo, it's amazing. Now, they could not use any of the furniture at Versailles. Forbidden. They could use the rooms, but they could not use any of the furniture. It was all taken away, um, what was there, and preserved somewhere else, and they had to make it all prop-wise. Because, and that's understandable. If people are really going to be flopping on the bed, you can't use the real bed. Mm -hmm. So everything's just beautiful. But not, remember, as amazing to Marie Antoinette as it is to us. One's childhood homes looked very similar. Mm -hmm. Although she does wander around her new rooms with a look of, oh, this is lovely. This is really beautiful. And she finds little secret passageways and she seems very happy about it. So, yes, she was used to that level of luxury, but I think she was exceptionally pleased in this movie, the character. I just think she was pleased, but not awed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's what I'm saying. She walks in like, well, all right. This is to my taste. I'm so glad. So now it is time to make it official. French official. Um, Evidently, this timeline works. They got to Versailles at 9.30 in the morning and the wedding was at 1 p.m. And Marie Antoinette is all alone. And here she is with such poise and all these unfriendly eyes on her. In real life, her wedding dress had been made ahead of time and had been made too small and didn't quite fit her in the back, which they didn't take advantage of in the the movie. They'd have to explain it and everything. But like, mm-hmm. so real life Marie Antoinette had to walk down the aisle of Versailles, the most critical fashion location in the universe, and her dress was too small in the back. Mm-hmm. With her mother's words, all eyes will be upon you. She's like, great. This is lovely. It's like sitting in gum before your wedding day. And even as ornate as character Marie Antoinette's dress is, the real one was even more so. I don't know if they just don't do that because it's too much. You know, what they had was a lot. And this movie won an Academy Award for costume design. So the costumes are spectacular. But the real dress, I mean, it it had diamonds sewn into it. And I don't know if we got close enough to see if there were diamonds in this one Mm -hmm. yeah i i couldn't but i did notice like in the real dress there's like all these scallop rows all over the skirt and in this dress it's not it's more simple i guess you know as simple as a gown with a train and panniers on the side could be well and you should know that like so much of marie antoinette's belongings her wedding dress is gone forever like we'll never get that back nobody knows Mm -hmm. where it is what happened to it etc all we have is paintings of it Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of a bummer actually yeah yeah and the color of the real one i believe was silver and this was close enough i thought yeah i thought they did a good job with that There was a very cute moment when Louis is nervous putting the ring on her finger and she smiles at him, which I thought was very touching. Yeah, it is a cute little wedding ceremony. In reality, Marie Antoinette had about 12 rings that they had her try on. And like Cinderella, the one that fit is the one that she got for the wedding. It's kind of like not much thought put into it. Like, well, I don't know. Here's some. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, uh, reception. Hooray. So I'm thinking that dance is a minuet. I know the song they dance to is called Minuet. Um, I am going to link you to some Baroque dances that reenactors have done on YouTube. And I think um, I never think these dances look fun. 
I never knew. <laughs> but Marie Antoinette was proud of her skill. And once character Marie Antoinette gets over her nervousness, you can see in her face that she's in her element for probably the first time in a month. I love how she starts smiling and she's like really getting into it. She knows she looks good doing this. She knows she is doing credit to her upbringing. And I just think it's so cute. And I would love for you guys to watch Madame Dubarry's face. She is intrigued and she is very open to it and has a very smiley face on. And you get this feeling that if Marie Antoinette had not been such a snob, they could have been probably not friends, I will tell you right now, but at least <laughs> friendly in the hallways or whatever. Dubarry thinks Marie Antoinette looks pretty. She's not the only one smiling, though. I was glad to see that some people are already starting to crack. Hooray. <laughs> you know what? I was a little disappointed because, you know, A Knight's Tale, when they did the dance, it was modern music. And at this point, all we're hearing is classical music still. We haven't heard any contemporary music. So that kind of disappointed me that they didn't do the dance to something more modern. After the opening scene, you know, with that music, it's kind of like, okay, where's that music? Well, I have a counter to that. I don't think we've been awoken yet. <gasps> oh, we are still in sleepy Austria head. Oh, okay. I love that idea. Okay. Now I feel better. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we have emerged into France party head yet. <laughs> <laughs> so the king toasts them. May you have many healthy children. You know what? People are so frank about this kind of thing. I, don't, I mean, do people still say that at weddings? May you have many children? I don't know. Maybe they do. I've never been to a wedding where that was said. It was probably thought, I would imagine. Well, um, so then you see fireworks, not true to history. They were canceled due to a storm, in fact. Uh, and when they were rescheduled, they ended up killing 180 people. So that, let's gloss over. That That's is right. good. <laughs> um, um, yes, fireworks, bad, bad. So um, anyway, I hope someone told Marie Antoinette about all of this surrealness of the putting to bed ceremony. I am a hundred percent sure that princesses being sent off were told about the facts of life. Don't you think you'd have to be pretty direct? But maybe not, because Marie Antoinette seemed to know nothing about it, which still baffles me. Anyway. Well, she was on that fast track course to being, you know, a future queen. She had to get her teeth straightened. She had to learn all this etiquette. So maybe they just skipped over that. I don't know. She does look a little clueless here. Maybe the entirety of the sex ad class was... Your husband is the boss of you. You have to do what he says in bed and everywhere else. The complete course. Well, even if you know it's coming, the putting to bed in a room full of strangers um, has got to be daunting. And I think that someone or someone's stayed in the room. I'm serious. There was a curtained bed. We see the curtains being closed, but I'd be willing to bet that a maid stayed either sitting in a chair or standing by a wall. Um, or if you're a man, a footman stays because of, you know, back and call stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I think there was probably someone in the room because the reportage gets out. The next morning, Grandpa knows that nothing happened. There are two ways you could know nothing happened I, or three ways. I guess someone would tell you that's not going to happen. Um, the sheets, which we know mm -hmm. haven't been changed because Marie Antoinette's still in them or that someone was in the room and they came entitled. Yeah, I didn't really think give that any thought. So I have not. I guess I would assume that it was the sheets, but but Marie Antoinette's still still in, in the them. Sheets. Yeah. So yeah. yep, somebody was there. 
So soon everyone knows, I'll tell you, um, if you were a teenage boy, would this not mortify you to the point where you would be like, I am out? <laughs> yeah. So now we enter Versailles Etiquette 101. And I honestly think <laughs> this might be my favorite scene. Um, we've got Vivaldi. We also have <laughs> true events, although not on the first day. Way back in the day, the Sun King created all these little perks and rights for the aristocrats to fight over. Like, who gets to sit on what kind of chair? Maybe to keep people from, say, trying to fight for the throne or other important things. So smart. Mm -hmm. Have everybody in a slap fight over who gets to hold your candle. And that way, you don't have people in a sword fight over who is going to cut your head off. That's really smart. <laughs> Um, so this is the result. This uh, levee is what they called it, the dressing ceremony. Character Marie Antoinette and we, the audience, are sort of walked through the procedure by the mistress of the household. There's a lot of do's and don'ts. Who gives Marie Antoinette her chemise? The garment that touches the royal body equals very important, right? So it has to go to the highest ranking person in the room. So the winner... At the moment is the Princess de Lumball. She is a princess of the blood and then by marriage is specified. <laughs> so that's a lower class of princess of the blood, I guess. But she is the widow of a great, great grandson of the Sun King. So in case we're wondering who that is, mm -hmm. she's already a widow. How old is she? You know? Oh, no kidding. And she does play an important role in character Marie and real Marie's life. So slow. Everyone has to hand everyone everything. Everyone has to do a little bobbing curtsy between every step. Everyone has to bend down. Your shoes come on a cushion. It's like, oh, so stressful <laughs> to me. And she doesn't know anything. She can't reach for anything because somebody has the right to hand you that thing. Whatever it is, you can't reach for it because you're depriving someone of their rights. It's, oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> and if somebody else comes into the room of a higher rank, which is what happens in this movie, everything has to stop while that person assumes their position and does whatever is their right their job right, I guess. So someone you've never met is quite entitled to take off your nightie in front of a room full of other strange ladies, but now you're naked. <laughs> and a higher ranked person has just come in, in this case, the Duchess of Char, who is fictional. She is not a real person, but evidently is a princess of the blood, not by marriage. So she wins. She gets the task. And then, oh, hey, it's your sister-in-law, the Comtesse de Provence, who, in fact, was not married to her brother-in-law yet, but whatever, um, who <laughs> takes her dang sweet time putting the chemise on. She... Uh, she smiles at everyone, takes her gloves off one finger by one finger. Someone else comes behind her with a tray with a velvet cushion for her gloves. <laughs> As she is a member of the royal family, there's also etiquette in that end. Oh, God. And Marie Antoinette and, in fact, the whole audience says this is ridiculous. Madame Etiquette, which is really what she was called by Marie, says this is Versailles. It's so funny to see people bowing and curtsying with no clothes on, by the way. And you should note there is a man in the room. He is <laughs> yeah. by the window, a footman. He's not looking. He's trained not to look, right? Sure. I think so. Yeah. You know, so every time I've watched this, I always get this impression that they have a plan and certain women go in first and those other women are just waiting outside because they've already coordinated this. They were going to make her 
you know, wait, because they knew how awkward it was going to be for her. Like That's... hazing? Yes, exactly. A little Versailles hazing. Well, maybe, maybe they did make her pay later. I will say this whole scenario did not happen on the first day. Like, um... It's depicted here to great effect, I think. Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, it wasn't like an initial hazing. They could have been mad at her about something and paid her back that way later. I mean, in the movie, you know, this scene, just oh, the maybe. looks on their faces are like, ha ha, this is a coordinated effort to make her stand there and freeze and be embarrassed for a little while longer. Yeah, and uh, there are two people who are kind of participating in a different way. The Princess de Lombal actually seems to feel for her, like how awkward this is. Like, I know, girl, I know. <laughs> um, and then the uh, Madame Etiquette is just concerned that things are going to go okay because there hasn't been a queen and there still isn't. They're missing an entire generation. So there hasn't been a room full of ladies in waiting to do this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Two years in the case of Grandma Queen and even Louis Auguste's mother, who, in fact, wouldn't have been an asset to Marie Antoinette. She did not want her son to marry into Austria. So anyway, she died three years ago. So not only has there not been a queen, there has not been a Dauphine. You know, so she has got to kind of remember things from a rule book and um, kind of create it from scratch. This hasn't been something she just did yesterday. Yeah. That's true. And also, but among the women, the highest rank of those women used to be the highest rank at Versailles. Mm -hmm. And she's not anymore. She's been displaced by this 14-year-old girl. Well, so in this movie, then, that would be the Comtesse de Provence. So. That would explain her, the look on her face. And the gloves, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. so, so then we go to the eating ceremony, otherwise known as um, the Grand Couvert. And the food, I will say, whoever did the food styling, and there's probably a many of you. Um, <laughs> you did a great job. It is absolutely beautiful. I don't know how it tasted at the end of a long filming day, but man, you guys did a great job. Or if it was even food. Ah, it's probably cheaper just to have it food, actually. You think? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Well, they were in France, right? So they there's people that cook like that. There's French chefs now that make art out of their food. Well, there's a man in the credits that is um, historical food concept artist, and he's a two-star Michelin chef. So you're right. I don't know that he ever touched any of it. But he might have drawn it all. They did an amazing job. So it's so frustrating. She wants a drink. And you have to signal to the guy, the majordomo, who bangs his freaking cane on the ground. I would not be surprised if that particular tile is just powder by this point um, <laughs> under his <laughs> under his cane. But he calls out, Un bois pour Madame la Dauphine. The machine starts to go slowly. One glass on a tray. Take one drink. Back on the tray. Back away. Ad infinitum. What's frustrating to probably her and me, anybody could come by and see any member of the royal family eating at any time. Um, it doesn't even have to be members of the court. Randos can come in off the street and you could rent a sword because if you were a man, you had to have a sword. You could rent it one at the door and go in and watch everybody eating like monkeys in a zoo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was on display right from the get go. Although real life Marie often she went through this ceremony but she didn't eat very much she took her meals in her room as often as she possibly could which is the way i would go movie marie doesn't eat anything at all she takes a sip of water and that's 
all she eats. Yeah, it really embarrassed her. And look at her husband. He's used to it. I mean, you used to come see the royal children, too. He's just plugging it away like, yep, this is how one eats. Mm -hmm. And she tries to make conversation. So awkward. (laughs) I hear you make keys as a hobby. Yes. And you enjoy making keys? Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) See, okay, a little background on him. He has been taught by his tutor for years that Austrians are the enemy, that this beautiful wife of his is going to come in and use her wiles against him and he needs to be on his guard because beautiful women, you know, are the devil and she's an Austrian spy and she's going to bend him to her will and he needs to be a man and not let her take over. And I think he's afraid. (laughs) But it's true, you know, like, so mm-hmm. so he is just going to try to keep her at a distance um, to prevent this from happening. She's mm-hmm. not that girl. She is not the powerful, manipulative sorceress that her slightly older sister might have been. So good luck for you, Louis. But, um, <laughs> anyway, so I, in case you're wondering why he's so weird, that's probably why. Yeah. In the movie, it gives me the impression that he was just socially awkward. So having had that little bit of information in there somehow... Like his motivation would have been nice, I think. Look at me being critical of this movie. I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, so. But again, there's not a whole lot of dialogue. So you, I don't know how you would have established that. But that's not my job. <laughs> Maybe just a little scene of him as a child. But, you know, it's not necessary. Yeah. And she doesn't know any of that. Mm-hmm. What she knows is, oh, my God, this guy does not like me. For some reason, we're not clicking. That's all she knows. This is all told from Marie's perspective. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, so Madame Etiquette is taking her role as mistress of the household very seriously. Um, they're at church. And like being a nanny, the young ladies start to giggle. And she puts her hand on Marie Antoinette's knee like, no, Madame. Her charge outranks her. But she still has authority. Isn't that an interesting, weird mm-hmm. position to be in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of um, a mother at church with her kids. I did that to my kids. Like, they're acting up. You just touch them on the leg and give them a look. And that's what Madame Etiquette did. And the princess and the Dauphine kind of straightened up. But I love that they had that little girl moment. You know, the old, there was an older woman and she was falling asleep. And it was funny because that's always funny. And <laughs> and I just they just had that little friend moment. So I like that they established the friendship between those two like right from the get-go. And if you think about it in terms of tradition, as we have just learned, the Princess de Lamballe is a princess of the blood by marriage, so is probably of a rank to be entitled to hang out with her. So how lovely that someone that can laugh with her is, they're Mm going to let her hang around. Yeah. So that's good. So now we go to a small family dinner, and I wrote with gossip and hose. (laughs) (laughs) That is inappropriate. This is actually a relatively famous family dinner that took place before the wedding, where the king first introduced his mistress as someone authorized to be at court. She'd been around. She'd been upstairs in the bedroom, etc. But some strings had been pulled. (laughs) She was sort of shoehorned into the inner circle. And 
obviously nobody's happy about it. This is the first time the ants have had to sit at a table with her. And Marie Antoinette is just too naive to realize what is happening. I mean, everyone at the table is irritated. You're going to hear this. If you turn on your subtitles, you can hear people talking about this. Mm -hmm. Some noblewoman has cracked and presented Dubarry at court for a big fee. And you'll hear people say, everyone at this table is for sale. Look around you. They're mad that like someone cracked. Mm-hmm. Um, the undercurrents, man, of gossip and speculation at this table alone is like the worst kind of workplace. And there's little Marie Antoinette, so pretty. And Louis just like, I will line up this sausage on before Kerber. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like playing with her jello mold. Again, yeah. she's not eating. Well, she doesn't have any friends. She doesn't know anybody. Well, one lady says across the table, this poor Marie Antoinette. I think she should go back to her country. And she says it nicely, not meanly, but she, you know, girl, me too, honestly, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> if she had that option, I'm sure she'd be on board. <laughs> well, they all know Louis, I guess, is what I'm saying. So, mm. you know, ugh. Marie Antoinette <laughs> is so bewildered looking around and I... I get the feeling that the children's wing of Schönbrunn was more wholesome. There was some stuff going on there, but she was too young to see that her father had all these mistresses and all the intrigue that was going on. And I'm not saying that Schönbrunn was quite Versailles level, you know, real housewives of Versailles or whatever, Mm -hmm. but she was never exposed to that side of it, I don't think. Mm -mm. So she asked the woman that's sitting next to her, you know, who is she? And she doesn't get a satisfactory answer. That's for sure. She says, the lady is here to give pleasure to the king. Do you want to hear what real life Marie Antoinette said back to that statement? Because this will tell you how naive she is. She smiled and said, oh, good. Then I will be her rival because I wish to give him pleasure, too. (laughs) That's not what she meant. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. It would have been funny if they had put that in there. That would have been really funny. Because then she does ask the guy on the other side and he gives it in, you know, more clear terms. That's his mistress. (laughs) (laughs) So two other conversations I think are noteworthy and or cute. The Duchess of Char leans over to her neighbor and says, do you think I look like her? And he purses his lips and goes, a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. I did not. Okay. First off, I love that they dress Madame du Barry in those jewel tones. Everybody else is in pastels and she's in jewel tones. I mean, the same kind of style dresses, but she just looks more garish, I guess, compared to everybody. So mm-hmm. I love that they established that. I'm not so keen on the burping part. Like she burps and she's obviously, I don't know, she's just showing that she's not of the same level of uh, etiquette, I guess, etiquette level that everybody else is. But I don't know that in real life it was that striking do you hmm now we haven't covered her but i will say she began at the bottom society wise mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah um, unlike madame pompadour who was one of his mistresses a little earlier who came from the middle class and was considered like oh my god what is happening well now you've literally gone as they say to the gutter and shopped Mm-hmm. Um, she's been a courtesan of some wealthy men before this. So I imagine that would have been stamped out before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, w- I was thinking right along those lines. Yeah, I don't know. I, I get why they did it because she's supposed to look like an outsider and like someone very low class. And they, they showed that and that he doesn't care. He's still all about her. 
It's like, that's great. I love this about her. (laughs) She's very real. (laughs) He doesn't say that. I'm just putting words in his mouth. Well, he is the king that made them install a kitchen up in his rooms so that he could practice making omelets with an apron on. So, you know, he's got some low class taste, too. (laughs) Well, some people could call that eccentric. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm just saying like a little burping is not going to throw this guy off. Yeah, yeah. You know. That's true. And all Uh, you'd have to do is tell her to stop. And she'd have to because he's the king. So, (laughs) well, another conversation that I hear right at the end, somebody says, and this is talking about Marie Antoinette. I think she's delightful. She looks like a little piece of cake. It'll be interesting to see how long she lasts. Mm -hmm. Ooh, dirtbags. Ooh. (laughs) This is not a very big table. So this conversation must have been heard. I mean, we can hear it without without actually going up to like the camera going up to the people. We can still hear the d- conversation. So it wasn't like quiet and hushed. It was like, ah, she's not going to make it. But look at her eyes, though. Like they're all darting around. There's a lot going on. She's literally bewildered. She's not as fluent in French as everyone else at the table. And, you know, it's all under the breath. I don't know how much of it she's catching, but I know she feels like she's on stage and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Now, she did speak French. Um, It's a language of court, but her French education was a little sloppy. (laughs) And so when they realized that they needed to bring in people during that time where she's being trained for this job, and that's what I keep thinking of it as, perfecting her French and her accent was part of that education. But yeah, she's way behind everybody else there. That's for sure. She spoke kind of a, um, you'd call it Spanglish, but you wouldn't because neither English nor Spanish are included. Um, (laughs) Furman. I don't know. So, um, yeah, a lot of those kind of words had to be ironed out in her training period. Um, Mm -hmm. So she didn't just replace. If you didn't know a word, you just put the German word in. That's kind of what her habit used to be. So anyway, um, moving on from there, it's just like a shark tank. And you see some little things that kind of gave you the idea that she is really swimming in some dangerous waters. There's sorted rumors about Marie Antoinette, specifically about why Louis and she aren't having the doing of it, you know? She's frigid. She already has a child. She's the whole problem. Notice the ladies walking behind her. She has no friends. She has no friends. There's just no camaraderie. And Louis can hide from all this while hunting. And I get the feeling he's done that his whole life. But Marie Antoinette has to be in plain sight and pretend she's not hearing the rumors and also just try to be available at night. And if you think about it, it really shouldn't have been expected that she would be the one that would have to take the lead on this. I mean, aren't like men ravening beasts all the time? Isn't that the classical historical yet possibly inaccurate warning that is given to all young ladies in every era. So um, she wouldn't think that she'd have to be assertive or aggressive. And yes, he comes in, but he has to make the trip because people will see and people will talk if he doesn't. So she is in a hard place because she's not 100% sure what's expected of her and she has no one to ask. Right. Her only confidant at this point who could give her maybe some information is the ambassador to France, Ambassador Mercy. And he tells her stuff, but this isn't, I don't think this is something that she would ask. No, although I think he was a dog, man. I think he had a lot going on (laughs) secretly behind the scenes. We don't even see a whiff of it, but this man had some lady friends. That's all I'm saying about Ambassador Mercy. He would know. Anyway, so um, I thought that she had a good idea. Okay, 
the bedroom thing's not going to work. What if I kind of low pressure start to become his friend in the daytime? That's a new strategy. I'm going to do that. And so she took a grand picnic out and surprised him on a hunting trip. And she handed out cold mead and sat on a blanket. And it was a good tableau and it was very pretty. And I do believe her husband appreciated it. But of course, that did not find favor with the etiquette of Versailles. I thought that was a good idea. Did you? I did. I thought it was a great idea. And her reasoning behind it was I just was trying to be a good wife. That's wonderful. That's her job. Yeah. I I hate that I keep saying it's her job, but really, it's her job. And I liked how she, Ambassador Mercy, is talking to her about it, saying, you know, you can't do that. It's not becoming to a queen. And she's like, I was just pleasing my husband. And she's firm in her opinion. She stands behind her opinion. She's not this real soft, easy to be manipulated kind of person. And I think real Marie Antoinette was like that more than we give her credit for. So Mercy has come not only to castigate her for handing out cold meat, but he said, your mother has told you not to ride. That's the leading cause of miscarriages. And (laughs) her response is so good. She says, as everyone knows, there's no danger of that. And it's not my fault. Mm-mm. And he suggests that she inspire the Dauphin. That's his advice. <laughs> okay. A grown man has to tell a 15-year-old girl that her mother is mad at her for not having sex, and it's probably her fault. I would just like to say that is a job, man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And he has to back it up and tell her that everything depends on her sleeping with this guy. Their alliance, her existence at Versailles everything. It's just waiting for her to do this. And it could come collapsing down at any minute. She does understand the gravity of the situation. She says, letting everyone down would be my greatest unhappiness. Mm -hmm. And then she asks for mops. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's this shtick about the macaron and no one eating it. He puts his down twice. And I'm going to stand by this. He puts his cookie on that plate twice. I am pleased Madame is taking this seriously. He puts one in the dish. I received this letter from your mother. She puts hers in the dish. He can't hand her the letter, so he puts it on the table. And then his hand comes back in the screen and puts his cookie in again. (laughs) One cookie, two times we put it away. Maybe he had one in his other hand. No, I do not think so. No, no. He's two fisting cookies? (laughs) <laughs> I don't think so. And then people really freaking do not like those cookies. La Durée made all those. I wonder mm-hmm. how they felt about the um, like the running joke of the disdain of the macaron. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Even the dog wouldn't eat it. <laughs> he tried to give it to the dog. He wouldn't take it. That's funny. Mm-hmm. So in the letter from her mother, oh, it's getting harsh, isn't it? Your inability to inspire sexual passion in your husband. Nothing is certain about your place there until the final physical act to crown the Franco-Austrian alliance is performed. That's what we're calling it now, huh? The kids call it the final physical act. <laughs> So she takes extra pains with cologne and a nice nightgown. And, ah, are those your feet? Like, (laughs) yeah, she tries to snuggle up to him and inspire him. And all he says is, oh, your feet, they're cold. And that ends that. Any mood there was, it's gone with cold feet. (laughs) She's trying. She's really trying. It's just not working. Uh, Well, and she doesn't know what to do anyway. No. So here is a little montage that I like to call the increasingly grumpy boredom montage with Vivaldi as the soundtrack part one. (laughs) (laughs) She rolls her eyes in bed. She rolls her eyes at church. She looks longingly at him at the dinner table like, can't you just do what it is you're supposed to do? Whatever it is. (laughs) I mean, she's really 
at sea. She just doesn't know. This is probably a good time to take a break. And when we come back, we'll find out if Marie ever figures things out. Spoiler alert, not in part one. We are back. It is now Pastel versus Jewel Tones in the hallway. Marie Antoinette and her posse run into, literally, Madame Dubarry and her posse. Marie Antoinette and friends are talking about hairdos and blah, 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 girl stuff, you know. And there's this weird interplay where Marie Antoinette does actually smile at Madame Dubarry, but then Dubarry smirks and sort of thumps her as she goes by. We have promenades. These people walk a lot. And I can't imagine how heavy their dresses are, how hard that is to do. But today it's inside. We're walking indoors. And Madame Dubarry, her dress is red and pink and big. She has two men at her side. There's a little black child behind her. That little boy servant of hers was real. His name was Zamor. And he had been stolen from Bangladesh by slave traders and sold to the king who gave him as a present to Madame Dubarry, who called him Louis Benoit. Yes. And she Ah. did educate him and things, but I just want to say, be careful how you treat your employees because Zamor actually ratted her out to the authorities after the revolution and she got the the guillotine. (laughs) So you shouldn't perhaps smack at people. No, you should not. (laughs) Well, she thought her whole life that he was African, but he was not. He was from Bangladesh. I love how Marie and the uh, Princess Lambal are getting to be friends. Their friendship seems so sweet. You know, they're finally girl talking and I love it. It's like the relationship she needed there. And I'm glad she was able to find it both in the movie and in real life. And I don't expect them to expound on topics intellectual. They're literally like, it must be nice to be blonde. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they were talking about Leonard, the hairdresser. Although she called him Leonard, if you listen. Leonard? Mm-hmm. She did. Oh, I wonder if that's because of the American accent. Well, I don't know. Marie Antoinette does call him Leonard later. But mm-hmm. in this conversation... She goes, have you tried Leonard? So then we go to a family party. Um, Literally, the brothers and their wives, kind of like the young court, with some super bad karaoke. So bad the dogs are crying. Bad. Um, And the Comte de Provence, which is brother number two, brags about his prowess, which real life cockamamie malarkey. Their marriage was not consummated for at least four years. So he just wanted his brother to feel bad. He's a winner. (laughs) Or maybe Sofia Coppola just wanted to accentuate the point that everybody else was having sex except for Louis. That brother actually did want to make his brother feel bad. Yeah, he was not good um, later on with regard to rumors and stuff. Anyway, he was angling to be the heir to the throne. Let's just put Mm -hmm. it that way. I, I'm so, like, so cute and sad when Louis makes that shot in his game, which I believe is called Fortifications. It's a kind of billiards. Mm-hmm. And he wants to celebrate. He celebrates alone. It's so sad. <laughs> Look at his like, little face. He's like, hooray. I mean. <laughs> but oh, back to anyway, back to Provence trying to make his brother feel bad. Look at the youngest brother, Artois. He looks to see if his brother and Marie Antoinette are upset. 
but they're covering it up. One, by pretending he didn't hear, and Marie Antoinette is just so used to pretending she didn't hear. He does look, though, and that was actually kind of her best friend in court, best guy friend, Artois. Mm -hmm. They got pretty close. So we see Maria Theresa back in Austria, and we'll hear another letter that pounds in the need for speed. What if your sister-in-law becomes pregnant? You are in a situation. And as she continues to read, we have a beautiful photo moment of Marie Antoinette. She's framed in this giant doorway slash window thing on a balcony while being scolded from afar, audio-wise, you know. Mm -hmm. I love this scene. It just makes her feel alone and surrounded by this cold, hard, cruel world and that she has nothing. She's got nothing on her side. I loved how it looked visually. The letter was pretty scolding. That is for sure. The letter basically says you had better suck it up with regard to Madame Dubarry because you of all people cannot afford to get on the king's bad side. So the ants, or if you're Susan, the aunts are as manipulative as can be. Though, again, I'm sad that Adelaide has been edited out because she was the boss of this whole gang. We saw how they were earlier about Dubarry at the family dinner. They tried as children, in fact, to stop their father's relationship with Madame Pompadour. So for more on that, episode 19 of the History <laughs> Chicks. Um, and and they were the ones who had really pushed, okay, brace yourself for this, for the Princess de Lamballe to marry their father and be the queen. They wanted a gentle and easily bullied wife mm -hmm. as preferable to an unpredictable mistress. And I'm very sorry to say that they used Marie Antoinette for their plotting purposes. They don't care if Dubarry greets Marie Antoinette with respect. They don't give one crap. Even though that's what they say. I am sorry to say this, but I don't think she's greeted you with respect, says Molly Shannon. <laughs> yeah. Just stir in the pot. She's just sitting there. They're sitting on the sofa. Marie has some really bad posture in this particular scene. I was like, oh, Beckett would not even be slouching like that. <laughs> and Marie asks, you know, where does she come from? And one of the aunts says, every bed in Paris. <laughs> I don't know about every bed, but significant beds. A lot of beds. But she'd been with the king for quite some time. I wish she had the number. But she hadn't been circulating in the public eye for very long. She mm -hmm. had been an upstairs type of mistress. Right. We know she exists. We know what she looks like, but she's not been foisted upon us. But now she's foisted upon us. She's mixing. Mm -hmm. And the aunts are upset about it. They're older aunts. They didn't get married because they didn't want to drop down and rank at all. They wanted all the benefits of Versailles. They didn't want to leave. So they're still staying there. That's and why they're And they're not there. super old. I mean, they're old with regard to princesses marrying, etc. They're in their upper 30s, which is not old. So they're not these elderly pieces of work staggering <laughs> around. They are perfectly young. You know what I mean? But still, according to the tradition of the court, they are firmly on the shelf and shall ever remain. Uh, they did, this is historical fact, actually pull Marie Antoinette away at the last minute, uh, wrecking Dubarry's invitation. Things got kind of ugly. So they actually did pull that off as they threatened to do in the movie. So that's good. That's not good. <laughs> no, I mean, it's good as far as historical accuracy is concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we have to have a villain. These are perfect villains. We don't like them. We can see that they're manipulating Marie in this particular scene. As if to point out how manipulative they are, we get it kind of in the face in the next scene. The ants are gossiping with their friend in the hallway. And then they're like, oh, look, here comes the Austrian. And then they're like, oh, hi. 
to Marie Antoinette. <laughs> Hi, girlfriend. Um, and they're encouraging her, frankly, to put herself in a bad position PR-wise. Um, this particular event must be after the failed meetup because Dubarry clearly expects that Marie Antoinette will speak to her as she approaches. I mean, look at her face. Mm-hmm. So instead, what Madame Dubarry gets is, I love your shoes, Victoire. Nothing. Like, she gets snubbed in public and Dubarry is mad and i bet she goes directly to the king oh i bet she does i was under the impression that the king knew about it at this point because if mama Teresa had gotten it in a letter it had to come from somebody and i don't think it could have just come from the ambassador no i don't see here's the thing this is why i don't think the king gets involved in the first place i don't think this is the kind of thing the king would directly get involved in i would not be surprised if the king told mercy to tell maria Teresa to tell marie antoinette that's what i mean i don't mean the king wrote to her Mm -mm. i'm just saying that it filtered down to Mama Teresa, so it must have been a big deal. I think uh-uh. it is a constant, like, Dubarry's constantly at him about, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And, you know, water uh-huh. wears away the stone. I'm sure he's about to crack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, he doesn't, I don't think, understand why it's important to her, but he does understand that it is important to her, and therefore he has to deal with it. We go right into Increasingly Irritated Montage Part So now when they wake her up for the levee, she's smug. She's ready to go. Hop out of bed. Whatever. I'm ready for you. She is so beautiful and angry at church in her hot pink (laughs) outfit. She's almost disgusted at the Grand Couvert watching Louis eat. The look on her face is so contemptuous. It's not even hidden. You can see it. Anybody who's in that room. Yeah. No, she is not happy with him. And then in bed, alone, her little face is so despairing. What is it going to take? I'm in a pickle. Yeah, she. I mean, she's feeling it from all sides. And at this point, what is she going to do? She's done everything that she knows how to do. And she knows the implications of it. This is a bad place for her to be. I mean, a really bad place. She probably can't even imagine it getting any worse. So poor old Ambassador Mercy has been sent to try again. Okay, let's open with my initial gambit. Madame Dubarry would like to offer you some diamonds. I have enough diamonds, she says. Historically accurate. Yes. Uh, He puts it this way. All right, then. If this isn't working, you are criticizing the king by not talking to her. You are criticizing his behavior. Mercy insists. And you can tell that Marie Antoinette is drinking that Versailles Kool-Aid when she says everyone knows she came from a brothel and that that title was bought for her. And she's not talking to that harlot. Yeah. Yeah. She's just like repeating the lines that she had heard, like, you know, people do in Internet arguments. They just hear the lines, so they just repeat them. That's exactly what she's doing. Well, anyway, it's my opinion. And honestly, I bet Ambassador Mercy and the king's opinion that the highest ranking woman at court, even if she's only 16, is supposed to set an example of ladylike behavior. And I know it's too much to expect. And I hope the king does, too. But I think they have a good point. Principles aside. Would it kill you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Evidently, she has been convinced that it is in her best interest to talk to Madame Dubarry, as important as that is in the global political situation. Fine, is what she said. And it just <laughs> reminded me, again, of every teenager. Fine. I'll talk to her. <laughs> Fine, whatever. So the king and Madame Dubarry are standing in, I'm guessing, the Hall of Mirrors. And they are watching as Marie Antoinette and Louis arrive and they do their giant curtsy. And when Marie Antoinette raises up from her curtsy, there's a moment of tension. The king looks at Mercy. Is it done? 
says the king with his face, and Mercy nods confidently, but only very small. <laughs> and Marie Antoinette looks with unfocused eyes in the direction of Madame Dubarry and says the following nine words. There are a lot of people at Versailles today. <laughs> at her rather than to her, I would say. Mm -hmm. But Madame Dubarry has a smile, a little smile, and says, yes, there are. And that was all it took. That was it. Was that so hard? Now, I have a question for you, Beckett. How many times in your life do you use that sentence? A there lot. Are a lot of people. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> As a matter of fact, at my old job with the boss's wife that you know by now, if you listen to the History Chicks, you know all about my experience with her. Every time she left me slash any of my coworkers after an altercation, I had everybody trained to just look at me and go, there are a lot of people at Versailles today. <laughs> so I would say daily, really, is when yeah, I use it. Yeah, I use it quite a bit. That's funny. And isn't Asia Argento so beautiful here. Dubarry was clearly a blonde person in real life, but they cast her so opposite and probably because Kirsten Dunst is so blonde, actually. I mm -hmm. see why they do it. Their, their first mm -hmm. choice was Angelina Jolie. Also not a blonde. I know. I was going to say, so it never was intended that she would be historically mm -hmm. accurate, but man, she is just beautiful. And Marie Antoinette's dimple, speaking of beautiful, after she says, there are a lot of people at Versailles today, she dimples at the king. Couldn't be more charming, really. <laughs> like, there you go, Grandpa King. <laughs> I did it. I did it. He was a big fan of Marie's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not just on paper but in person you know she charmed him right from the beginning as she did a lot of people uh, uh, she did she did have that power and you mm -hmm. know i think she was like little and refined and she was a good addition to the family but the ants look pinched <laughs> they look like they lost a battle is what Ooh. they look like they're just looking at each other like oh my gosh meanwhile Duberry is like i high-fiving the king you know it's like oh my gosh did you see that she did it she did it well, everyone's got their fur and their muffs, and Marie Antoinette is in ermine fur. It must be cold, I guess. But anyway, as she's going away, and she does wait long enough so that the king and Dubarry won't hear her. I actually watched for that. When does she say this? Oh, she's far away when she says, those are my last words to that woman. I have to confess, I actually feel irritated at both movie and real Marie Antoinette for this behavior. It wouldn't have cost her anything to say hello once or twice a week. So crazy. Her own papa was known to have a mistress or two. Uh, you know, it's not like this is all new. No, I, I understand. I completely agree. But I think it goes back to her upbringing, you know, her be a lady stuff. Mm. And also the chit chat at Versailles. She has been a victim of some superior manipulators mm -hmm. in the ants. Yeah, I agree. Because they're acting like mother figures. And I will say... Marie Antoinette's husband regarded them as mother figures. His own mother had died and he naturally turned to them for anything he would have turned to as a mother. I mean, he went to see them all the time. To him, they were loving guardians of his pathway, you know, so mm -hmm. she would naturally trust them, which she oughtn't to have. No. Duperry is obviously pleased with how things worked out because we see her and the king playing kitty cat in their bed. <laughs> <laughs> meow, meow. meow. There's stockings on and not much else and just romping around like cats. The king actually was a huge cat fan in real life. <laughs> so I th thought that was funny that they would pick cats for them to be playing. That's pretty funny. So versus 
versus let's travel down the hallways with our camera to the bedroom of Marie Antoinette, where she is lying in bed eating a piece of chocolate for a very long time. And her husband is quoting her things out of the book. He's on the internet, functionally. <laughs> Ooh, the first mechanical locks were made of wood, he says interestedly. She's like, huh. And then he said, records show them in use 4,000 years ago in Egypt. And Marie Antoinette in her head is like, kill me. <laughs> I know. How long did it take her to eat that piece of chocolate? It was just like the teeny tiny. She was taking the smallest of bites. Yeah. On the flip side, I know she's like eye rolling, but they were acting like just roommate. Like in this scene, it's like they got along enough that they could talk about something without there being any weirdness. I guess. I mean, it's kind of more of that long game. She's playing like, well, I guess I just won't put the pressure on mm-hmm. and I'll hang out. This is like the direct descendant of cold meat. I guess if I don't put pressure on, maybe he'll act. I don't know. It's not working out. That's not <laughs> what she wanted at all. Not at all. But he was very excited about them. That's the most animated he's been this entire movie. Is talking about those locks in that particular scene. Poor little thing. I mean, he had no chance either. He was the second son. He was thrust into this position like he'd been the forgotten spare until his older brother suddenly died. And the day of the funeral, they moved his action into his brother's old room. Just moved on as if he'd been there the whole time. And he's like, wait, what? (laughs) I like to hunt. What's going on here? <laughs> Probably shouldn't have been the king. Anyway, um, shot of the fabulous bathroom. I always thought it was funny they bathed in a chemise, but I guess the tubs weren't that smooth and that was kind of more to protect you mm-hmm. than your nudity. Like no one cared if you were naked. Yeah, no, that's what I believe. And the real Marie Antoinette actually bathed daily. It's what she had been raised like. That's her, what her mom had taught her mm-hmm. because cleanliness was important in Vienna, whereas at Versailles, not as much. Perfume <laughs> is important in Versailles, let's just say. <laughs> People got so mad at me when I said that there was poop left everywhere in Versailles. Everywhere. Dark corners were there would be excrements. Mm-hmm. And people took offense at that. I was like, I know there's a lot of bathrooms. I also know that nobody really cared. <laughs> <laughs> and they often use the inky blackness of the Hall of Mirrors at night to do their business. The end. So, so people are going to get mad again. Awesome. So there is some stank. <laughs> and that's what maids did in the morning before people woke up. The end. Just oh, cleaning gosh. it up. But meanwhile, Marie Antoinette was taking her baths every day with these sachets filled with, you know, herbs and flowers and oils. A huge sachet big enough that she could sit on it was in there it's not like little things floating around and then the other one she used is exfoliate it's like modern modern pampering she was doing it way back then and then she wraps herself in a bath sheet and immediately lays on a moire sofa which i'm like wrecked <laughs> i know i thought the same thing who cares no. that's what people no. are for don't you have a guy i don't know they don't she doesn't care but anyway so that sofa's ruined so now we begin to shop in earnest to hide our feelings. Um, fans, shoes, feathers. And in homage to the famous fact that Marie Antoinette in real life once ordered chicken for her dog one day, and it was therefore delivered every day after that for the rest of the time she lived at Versailles and went <laughs> mostly untouched. This is wasteful, is what we're supposed to see. Like, um, frivolity. Yeah. I like that they put that thing about the dog eating the chicken because I was like, oh my God, it came every single day. No matter, she never ordered it again. Everyone delivered it. And it was actually kind of considered a perk of being a maid in that room that you got that chicken when nobody ate it. <laughs> it's sad. The plates, again, going back to how pretty the food is in this movie, they keep showing these plates of food and 
It's so pretty. It looks almost fake. (laughs) So there's Mercy trying to get through to her as she's trying on a prototype of a dress that she is supposed to be influencing policy. You are an ambassador of Austria. Brother, you got a hold of the wrong lady for that plan. (laughs) Mercy asks her if she's read the daily briefing and she's like, no, of course not. Just give me the bullet points. Uh, I I paraphrase. (laughs) She's just laughing. Can't you just tell me about it? (laughs) Do you like the ruffle or the no ruffle on her sleeves? So he is, okay, I'll give you the bullet points that you're not going to understand. I can see it all running in his mind. The reforms in Poland by King Poniatowski have led to civil war. Now, fans of the History Chicks, if you remember this guy, he had been a boyfriend of Catherine the Great of Russia. I will tell you there was a lot going on in Poland without Austria and Prussia and Russia cutting parts of it off and eating it up. This was a real balance of power tipping point in Europe. France and Austria were linked by marriage, but so were France and Poland because Louis' grandma was Polish. So for a second, just one fleeting second, Marie Antoinette gets it. You know, am I to be the Dauphine of France? Or am I to be Austrian? Uh, Well, you have to find a way to be both. You're not just failing France's role for you. Also, guess what? You're failing Austria's role for you, too. I know. It's like banging her over the head with it before she understands. And even then, it's just like a simple question. Duh. Where have you been? We all know what you're supposed to be doing here. (laughs) We see her walking in the garden with a face on. Also, the tiniest waist in this peach-colored dress. I don't know if it is a optical illusion or what, but my goodness. And so we hear more rumors about how she, quote, bought a boy. That's sort of true. She almost killed a little peasant boy with her coach. And she felt so bad that he was upset or whatever. You know, she took him back to his grandma and um, discovered that he was poor and an orphan. And she set him up with education and a good upbringing and also his siblings. It was very charitable, I thought. There were several cases of her taking pity on orphans. Like one little girl was raised with her daughter as a companion later. I mean, given the same dresses, the same clothes, the same gifts, the same treatment. I mean, always had kids around. Her ladies later were encouraged to have their children at court. I mean, trust Versailles to make this virtue of hers into anything but a virtue. It's beautiful, Versailles, but it is rotten inside. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and in this movie, they don't show her being generous at all. They don't show that aspect of the real Marie Antoinette's personality. One teeny tiny bit. It's just this little reference to it. She bought a boy. And it sounds dirty. It's like she bought a boy on the side. She can't have one of her own, they said. Oh, and they said she was an Austrian spy, which is something that followed her around the whole. I mean, we were talking about that at the very beginning. So it's like worked its way into the fabric of conversation. Mm. Well, then we get a little scene where the boys are off on another hunting trip. You would think they would get so freaking sick of that, but maybe it's the fresh air and the freedom or whatever. But, you know, so I think the guy we see rushing by on their way outside, you know, tickling and flirting, I think that was the third brother with his new wife. So if so, that third brother, Artois, was like Grandpa King all over again in the bedroom department. In real life, there is a real chance of pregnancy now. I'm talking (laughs) now you are in danger. You know, if that's the third brother's wife... But in this particular scene, Louis and Marie actually have a conversation about it. And he actually responds. He doesn't just like turn his eye and he says, I will resume my regime when I return. I guess that's what the kids are calling it now, resuming the regime. Well, and he said, and hopefully everything will go swimmingly. 
Like, did they know about swimming <laughs> cells? I, I mean, I have no idea. I don't know, but I just, it's like, okay, they've turned their relationship in the movie at this point, or they're actually talking. This is like a real conversation. I'm very proud of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, You know, I just, I wish they had gone a little more into this, and I don't know how they could have, but... It is very dangerous for her now. Not dangerous. They would just send her home. As far as I'm concerned, that's not dangerous necessarily. But it, as to her position, okay, the second brother's wife and the third brother's wife were sisters. They were from Savoy. Their brother married Louis's younger sister. There is a family influence at work to <laughs> oust her. There is a political faction that wants Marie Antoinette to go home and one of the Savoy sisters to be producing the next heir to France. So there is a danger, not necessarily from her sisters-in-law, but from a powerful political entity to kick her out if she does not produce an heir at this point. I don't know how they would have done that with the, the lack of dialogue they have in this movie. I don't know how they could have shown that. She does refer to being humiliated before all of Europe. So maybe that's kind of what she means. But anyway, this is a showcase for that dress. <laughs> that is clear to me that they mean for you to look at that dress, which I was trying to look about what kind of dress that was. And I think it is called a robe a l'anglaise retroussé. Fancy. Also, that dress could be called a polonaise, but I think it's constructed differently. So we'll provide you with a link. But Regardless, this is an extreme example of one of those. Don't sit down. <laughs> no. It is no. so pretty. Oh, so it, pretty. Yeah, it's it's a seafoam color, like a soft seafoam green. They have her framed in this hallway of marble. It's just, that's it. You know, she's the it. That's all you're looking at. Again, one of those stunning shots in this movie. There's so many of them. So the old folks are getting involved in Marie Antoinette's sex life again. The king and Ambassador Mercy are having a little conversation, a little meeting. And the king says, I have no intention of breaking the alliance with Austria. I will say that's not really up to Marie Antoinette or anything about her. Austria is pretty powerful and Poland is a weak sauce, you know, like, <laughs> you know, be smart. Um, so the king sends a doctor and the scene makes me so impatient. Well, again, this uh, this strikes me because first off, they're in the bedroom with the doctor, but it's both Marie and Louis talking to the doctor and the doctor's asking, you know, do you find your body responsive to Louis? And he just makes a face like, yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and what did you eat for breakfast? The answer was hot chocolate. <laughs> 18th century medicine is even worse than 19th century medicine, of course. It's like darts on a dartboard. Like, even Marie Antoinette character knows this interview is not going to produce results. Mm -mm. And we get a photo moment of the bed as if we weren't already clear <laughs> that this was important. We focus on that nicely made, beautiful, but yet barren bed. <laughs> so they go to the opera and Marie Antoinette is quite obviously in her happy place. It's an opera called Plate, written by a composer named Ramo on the occasion of Louis's own father getting married the first time to the Infanta Maria Teresa of Spain. Not Louis's mother, but his father's first wife, who died very young. So that's a nice little homage that they threw in there. I thought that was good. It's something about a god falling in love with somebody very ugly, and it was kind of... I mean, if anybody wants to know, I don't know. Um, it's, um, this is off the top of my head, so I could be wrong here, but I think it was the god Jove, and he fell in love with someone that was very ugly, 
I think a water nymph or might have actually been a frog. I can't remember, but there was some thought that Ramo was going to get it because the Infanta Maria Teresa was famously unattractive. And that might have been a little too on the nose, like not a very good situation. Here's the Dauphin of France, i.e. the god marrying someone that wasn't attractive, but it went over pretty well and everybody was like, A, either in on the joke or didn't care and they loved it. It was popular. So... (laughs) And everybody that's listening is going, oh, is that what that was? I thought it was just about a bird. (laughs) Anyway, so um, she is genuinely into it in a way that others aren't. She is like grooving to the music. And if you think about it, when do you hear music in, you know, 1770 something? I mean, you have to get the musicians to come to you. It's not like you can turn anything on. And there are people, even now, who constantly have a soundtrack of music in their lives. And what would those people have done? They probably wouldn't feel as content with their lives as they do now, I suppose. Well, Marie had been wanting to get out to the opera. And one of those former scenes where the woman was singing horribly and <laughs> and Louis made his billiard shot and nobody cared. She asked if she could, they could go to the opera. She wanted to go to get listen to some music, just get out of the palace and go do something. And she loved music. She played the harp, I mean, in real life. So this was something that she was really passionate about. So sitting there in that box watching this opera must have just really touched her. So enter from the back door. Woo, who is this? Who is this spicy person with the red hair? It's the Duchess of Polignac. Lumball introduces her. And her talk of like, have you ever been with a Russian? This is Dimitri. He's handsome. Isn't he divine? They're so bossy. Like, (laughs) she's so spicy. Um, It's like the angel and the devil, by the Uh way. Lumball would be the angel, her better nature. And then, man, I don't know, man, that Duchess of Polignac, she's a wild one. But you could tell Marie Antoinette is so intrigued by her. Like, oh, my goodness. And I love... After the Duchess leaves, how Louis looks at Marie Antoinette. And this, I believe, is when he starts to fall in love with her. He has lowered his barrier, you know, actually. Mm-hmm. Look at this person who is my wife. I, She's amazing. <laughs> also, how she makes everyone in the theater clap. <laughs> Lumball is taken aback. Look at her face. She is an upholder. If you <laughs> if you listen to Gretchen Rubin's Happier podcast and have been interested in the uh, the four tendencies, yeah, Lumball is an upholder. She is completely shocked that this is working out. <laughs> well, Marie's saying, you know, she's clapping. She stood up and clapped for this performance and nobody else is. And I thought it was wonderfully symbolic of how she helped set trends. Because it didn't take very long for the entire audience who had kind of looked up at her like, what the heck you doing, woman, to kind of get in on it. And they were all smiling and like, oh, this is fun. Okay. (laughs) So her brother-in-law, if you look over on the left, Artois is beside himself with laughter over there on the left. (laughs) You know, she's got everyone. She's got everyone clapping and um, breaking tradition. It's really good. I thought that Mm -hmm. was really good. Yeah. No, I love that, that scene. I love the Duchess de Polignac, who I don't believe was a duchess quite yet, even though she was introduced as such. But she was so loud. It wasn't even like she had like this quiet theater voice going. She was just loud and she didn't care. And then this clapping thing, Marie's like, I'm clapping. I don't care what you people are doing. Let's clap. Come on. Well, and I think it's the only reward that she thought she could give the actors, really. So from that high, 
of new people, new experiences, adulation, new love from the husband, we kind of slide a little bit back into the same old, same old. We see a scene of Louis going out hunting. Hey, we've never seen that before. We see people walking up and down the stairs. Hey, we've never seen that before. Um, We see pictures of the fountains. We actually have a special feature on our website about the Marley machine that made those fountains work. So mm-hmm. we will link you to that. But uh, they weren't all working at the same time. No. <laughs> you no. had to, you could pretty much at one point tell where the king was or which window he might be looking out of by which fountains were working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a little there's a little side note for you if you ever wonder. So evidently the king was somewhere he could see that fountain going when it turned on. <sighs> so there it is. Same old, same old. And now we have further trouble in the bedroom. We get a letter from her mother again. You know, one of your sisters is pregnant. Your brother Ferdinand is a man who made his new wife his wife right away. You are in a dangerous situation. And her mother seems to blame her. Everything depends on the wife. If she is willing and sweet. Even her own mother blames her. I'm just like, if anybody had a camera in that bedroom, number one, wouldn't be obscene. Wouldn't see anything happening. But would that have even changed people's minds if they had seen what was actually happening? I don't know. Seems weird. If people saw that they weren't consummating the marriage? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, you think people would feel differently? I think they'd feel uh, worse if they actually had physical proof that that's what was going on. It's like, what is wrong with these kids? Kids, yes. I think Louis would come in for a share, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You mean both of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, this scene, I just, I mean, it is absolute to beauty. There's hand-painted wallpaper. Her dress is exquisite. She is so beautiful on the outside. And on the inside, there is just absolutely despair. And I love how Marie Antoinette looks right at the camera, right at us. Like, you understand, right? (laughs) Yeah. And she slides down that wall. That must not have been comfortable to do in the undergarments of that dress. Well, when you don't have to care what happens to the dress. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) But the end of that letter is, nothing is certain about your place there until an heir is produced. And honestly, I say from here, you would have been better served just bailing and being sent home, honestly. Hindsight is twenty twenty. That's what I have to say about that. What is the great fear? Like that people are going to make fun of you? You're going to be at Schoenbrunn. Who's laughing? I don't know. I guess she felt it was her responsibility. Everybody felt it was her responsibility. Leaving wasn't an option. Yes, but everybody seems to like fear what will happen. So what Mm -hmm. will happen? Oh, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? They're not going to put her in jail. No. They're going to send her home. Which is where she'd rather be in the first place. That's right. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to be home after disappointing my mother, the empress, like that. But you didn't hang out with her every day. That's right. I mean, I guess what my point is, is Marie Antoinette is enduring torment and people gossiping about her in a foreign Mm -hmm. place. Why doesn't she just go home and endure it in a place she loves? So that's all I'm saying. We know she doesn't because we've read a book. Yeah. What are we second guessing why she didn't leave? We can't do that. That's not fair. <laughs> she had her reasons. Well, it wasn't up to her. Right. Well, how would she leave? She'd, you know, get, she'd sent have to home. get thrown. Yeah, she'd have to get thrown out. I just don't think I don't think she had an it was an option. I know what you're saying. I just don't think it was an option. Get those kids in bed. Get a baby going. Louie does give it a go. So that's progress. It was clumsy. It was inspired by operatic events, I guess. Um 
He doesn't know what to do. And he says, I'm sorry. She goes, that's all right. And then he says, I'm sorry again. And I'm reading into that. I'm sorry for all of it. Like the first I'm sorry is, I'm sorry I caught your hair on my button. And the second I'm sorry was like, for this whole thing, really. Well, they are at the Grand Couvert at dinner. And Marie Antoinette gives her husband a speculative look. And, you know, I don't know if Kirsten Dunst made this as an acting choice, but you never see her eat anything in this movie that is not sweet, well, and or alcohol. So there's alcohol and sweet things. So she actually does take a bite out of a pastry for the first time. Ah, it's kind of same old as usual. But that look makes me think, okay, there has been progress. (laughs) (laughs) But then along comes Madam Etiquette running for maybe the first time in her life, frankly. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Your majesties are requested at the delivery of the Comtesse de Provence with everyone else. With everyone else. It's a big deal. We have to get up from the table right away and go run and watch this baby be born. Although the baby is born by the time they walk in there. And it is the first bourbon prince of his generation, a boy. Um, historical accuracy, of course, would tell you that this is not the Comtesse de Provence's boy. This is the Comtesse de Artois' boy, the third brother's wife. So I'm not sure why they made it different. I have no idea. So we know it's 1775. We know mm-hmm. it's five years into Marie Antoinette's marriage, and she has not yet consummated it. This baby, the Duke of Angoulême, is Marie Antoinette's daughter's future husband. So she married her cousin. <laughs> Like you do. Yeah, not unusual at all. Historical accuracy aside, Marie Antoinette does do the right thing. She sees the baby. Oh, he's beautiful and has the right smile on her face. And then in the hallway, she walks past the representatives of the middle class in the hallway who hiss at her to give them an air. Which is what really happened. I mean, not in this particular moment, but people weren't shy. They wanted that air and they weren't shy to tell her that. But in this particular scene, she's just, you can just tell she's holding it together and she's walking faster than should be possible in that amount of garment, (laughs) I would think. But she just keeps walking and walking and finally gets to her room and closes the door in her secret compartment away from everybody else and just bursts into tears. Yeah, it's so bad. Anybody who has tried to have a baby and their friends are all having babies and it's not happening in modern times knows kind of the feeling in a way. I mean, we can't obviously have the political part, but that feeling is something that's contemporary. The way she's all crumpled up in a ball in the corner at the end just kind of broke me. Mm -hmm. Again, you have splendor versus pain and they take pains, speaking of pain, to back off from Marie Antoinette in the corner so you can see the elaborate room she's in. No matter how delightful your environment is, it cannot compensate you for internal pain like this. And Mm -hmm. I actually called that walk her torture walk because she is just trying to hold it together and she almost makes it back. And the people in the anteroom actually do see her break before she slams the door. But it is not good. Poor, poor Marie. So what do we do to bury the pain? (laughs) What do we do? We now begin to shop in earnest to erase our feelings. Shoes, Fans, fabric, food, champagne, jewels, cards, 
all set to the song by Bow Wow Wow, I Want Candy, that I literally remember jumping around the living room to when it was on the first time. <laughs> uh, it is a vendor's dream to get a hold of customers like this, frankly. Uh-huh. Um, so the Duchess of Polignac is in the click now. You see dogs with 50 years worth of middle class paychecks on his neck. <laughs> All kinds of extravagance, fabric, fabric, fabric. Ooh, they say. How many times did the poor old Duchess of Polignac actress have to take one giant bite of pastry? I know. And you see all those shoes uh, that were created for this movie by Manola Blahnik. He created hundreds of pairs of shoes based on historical accuracy, but also his imagination. So they're not historically accurate, but they're pretty close. Hundreds of pairs for this movie. But it starts off pretty fun and innocent. And then as the scene progresses, it gets more gluttonous is the only word that comes to mind. The way they're eating these pastries and spilling champagne. And and then, oh my goodness, my favorite, my favorite, Leonard with his purple shoes. This is the era for old Leonard, man. Talk about a guy born in the right time. Is it too much, says Marie Antoinette, to which I say, yes, it is. It's wobbling all over the dang place. <laughs> it's barely holding itself together. I wonder if that was like an accident. Because what happens is Marie shakes her head and is it too much? And the cage, which is her hair, it's just a big cage attached to her head. It kind of wobbles. So I wondered if that was like an accident in filming that they left. I think so. I think it was a happy accident because is Mm -hmm. it too much? And then like, well, gravity tells you yes. (laughs) And also when she says that, look over to the right side of the screen. Look on Leonard's assistant's face. L-O-L-O-L. So funny good. By the way, like he's like to the client, oh no. And then to his boss, he's like, holy crap. <laughs> she's buying this? I can't believe she's buying this. It's All like, right. It's like, you're the man, Leonard. I wouldn't have thought this was going to go, but okay. <laughs> so good. So they're bored, these ladies, after all this extravagance. They have the temerity to be bored. They're all slumped in the little private cabinet and, ah, what are we going to do? And the Duchess of Polignac peer pressures her friends to sneak out. Let's go to the masked ball in Paris. And we get a little viewpoint of that gilded cage. Because Marie says she can't leave. Well, she can't go without a formal reception. So you have to set the royalty apart. It has to be... Protocol must be observed. And um, the Duchess of Polignac, ever the devil on your shoulders, says, if it's a masked ball, no one would have to know, would they? Which is like a new idea for Princess Lumball, who goes, what? (laughs) She's just like, there's rules and you can just like, just set them aside like that. I don't know. Who is the uh, relationship with uh, the Duchess de Polignac's more changing? Is it Marie's or is it Lemballe's? Because both of them are getting their mind blown by her. <laughs> uh, well, and I would say it's probably Marie Antoinette because Lemballe can only be pulled so far. She is like genuinely a um, rule follower, I think. Mm-hmm. She's also, by the way, one of the absolute richest people in France. Which doesn't hurt. Yes. So anyway, it's like 10 to 12 miles away, Paris, which is close, really, even by 1775 standards, relatively close if you're determined and have enough horses to go kind of fast. Oh, yeah. They are super not good at sneaking. No. She gets Louis involved. Louis goes with them. So I don't know if Marie was able to do that or if it was the Duchess de Polignac who convinced him as well. 
Well, but they all climb into the car. It's like a big night out for the kids. Screaming and laughing. <laughs> you guys, come on now. That reminds me of my son telling me, you know, you need to fix these stairs before I'm old enough to sneak out because they're kind of creaky. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't learned you have to step on the side of them? There's no stepping on the side. There's no step. That's what we had to do in our old house. It was on the side of the step. It wouldn't creak. You oh. like walked up the middle. There's a creak. But if you put your foot on the side in a very unnatural position, there was no creak. I don't know. You have to back up and do some like tacking and gluing, I think, if you're going to get down these stairs. <laughs> Shimmy up the uh, railing. You might end up pulling the railing. I mean, because our stairs go up, you know, and then it turns yeah. at a big landing and then goes up to mm -hmm. the second landing. I don't know. You could rappel off the top landing to the <laughs> second landing. <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, if anybody is going to figure it out, it would be your son. Although I'm sure your husband will be two steps ahead of him anyway. <laughs> I'm sure we'll just probably not even have no big deal. a scenario where there needs to be sneaking out. We'll no. just be like, okay, call me when you get there. I call it flex curfew. Oh. That's, that's what we have here. It's like, just tell me what time you're going to be home so I know when to worry. Well, he just turned 13, so I have at least a year. <laughs> <laughs> at least. So anyway, um, these teenagers cruise out. So now we see the absolute loveliest. I love this scene so much. The masked ball in Paris. There had 60 customers on the credit list, by the way. I mean, assorted. There were milliners and this and that, but like 60 people are responsible for the clothes in this movie. There was actually a um, wardrobe accountant. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see why when you see this scene almost more than any other scene it's amazing how the extras look and i love how the 80s music is used here with everyone in period clothes i mean you guys i loved Susie and the banshees little punk rock beezy love <laughs> Susie and the banshees and um this song is called hong kong garden if you um want but cities in dust was my very favorite Susie and the banshees song download it today um, yeah <laughs> so um remember how exciting it was just to like be out some of you might still be there so go out <laughs> i assure you go out and i love thinking about this filming because we saw this behind the scenes where usually when there's dancing they film to nothing more than a guy directing with the beat because in post you have to add the music so it's not all like all you hear is people's thumping feet or whatnot so i mean the thought of them dancing with no music makes me laugh. Oh, and doing it so well and doing one of those coordinated, you know, the dances of the time. It wasn't like you know, just a regular dance like now. It's one of those everybody had to do the right thing to the right beat. Yeah. And Impressive. I'm not guaranteeing you they had no music, but just like traditionally that's filmed with like a metronome or not mm -hmm. music. Yeah. So, anyway, I just thought that was funny. So it was super good. Um, Marie Antoinette has never seen the likes of this. Look at her face. I mean, the Duchess de Polignac has seen this all over Russia and parts unknown. She doesn't care. It's exciting, <laughs> but it's not like, what is happening? <laughs> but in her life, Marie Antoinette has never been in a room like this with people that are happy, the lack of protocol. Everyone's bumping into each other. You're just shoving people out your way. Like, what is happening? It's like the first time you go to a bar. A nightclub? And, a nightclub. Okay. Yeah, a bar. You just go and sit down. So, um... <laughs> Is that what the kids call them now? Nightclubs? Clubs. Just club. I don't know, Daddy-o. Where am I? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Well, so, you know, they're off downstairs, a couple of ladies pushing through the crowd. Louis is up on a landing looking at all that's going on. And doesn't he have an illuminating conversation with an overly drunk attendee? Has the Dauphin done the deed yet? The guy finds out he's from Versailles and has to open with that. What? What was that? <laughs> Has the Dauphin deflowered the Dauphine? I'd love to do the honors, blah, says the drunken guy. Yikes! And Louis's first impulse is like, out, away, go. <laughs> At the very beginning when, you know, he asked a question, the drunk guy, I thought Louis was going to have fun with it. You know, like, oh, I get to be somebody else for the evening. That's awesome. And he did sound like he was having fun. But as soon as he realized that the topic of discussion was his sex life, he was not participating in that conversation at all. Well, and that just tells you how far that's gone when strangers open their random conversations with your private business. Oh, not good. So, okay, the scene where she meets Adam Ant. I mean, Axel von Fersen. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know. And I am justified in saying that because Sofia Coppola is on record as saying, and not so much in this section as in part two, there is a certain scene where she is says, I based his appearance on Adam Ant. Now, the fact is, I think Adam Ant based his appearance on the Marquis de Lafayette. So there's a little bit of a circle going here. But Circle of life. Circle of 80s rock stars. Well, so <laughs> Axel von Fersen and Marie Antoinette have some electricity. Yeah, he's actually the only person there that doesn't have a mask on for some bizarre reason. Everybody else has a mask on. Marie's isn't, you know, really great. It's just a piece of chiffon tucked <laughs> behind her ears with eye holes. She's not fooling anybody who knows who she is, but okay, whatever. But he's just eyeing her across the room and she's just giggling with her friend like, two girls in a bar like don't look don't look that guy's looking at you right now is he really okay just talk to me make make it funny there's no photos so how do you know for sure who famous people are exactly anyway even if she didn't have a mask on would people know if she said oh no i'm the comtesse of whatever would they go nah i think there would be enough people there that would oh. know what she looked like i, I would say like people who have been at court. I see. Yes. Yes. People who actually could travel back and forth from real world to Versailles, unlike herself. Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. I see. I see. Yes. I forgot about witnesses. <laughs> so I thought it was interesting that right when you see him and their eyes meet, the lyrics of the song said, I'm your aphrodisiac. Don't do nothing. Just relax. So he says, are you going to tell me who you are? And he grabs her hand, which no one's been allowed to do in years. Woohoo! <laughs> it's very exciting. And then as she walks away, Flirtini, looking back over her shoulder like she's done it for years. Good for her. Instincts kicking in. She's outed as the Dauphine as she walks away. And the look on his face is like, huh. <laughs> no, he's not even like geared off. It's like, oh, okay, there's a challenge for me. The two did meet at a masked ball. But it was right after she got to Versailles within the first few years. It's not this far in advance, you know, with this electric flirtatious stuff. So unfortunately, that part's not real in this storyline. I'm going to put my hands over my ears and say, la, 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 la. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I did not hear you say that. Okay, so Louis, speaking of not hearing, um, Louis does not hear her pleas to stay. No, it is 3.30 in the 
freaking morning. He's probably been bored for hours, by the way. <laughs> and so he wants to go. And what he says goes, he's the boss. Um, rank wins. So they're out reluctantly. <laughs> and um, of course, the Duchess of Polignac knows all about Count von Fersen. Quite the reputation. She knows all about it. She cracks me up. But we all have friends like that, don't we? Or back in college, at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, I don't think I have any friends like that, but I might. I We're just... all too tired. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Check their Facebook. I don't know. So they head back before sunrise. We actually see the sunrise as we travel back. And Marie Antoinette's mind is just filled with her all new experiences. It's been so exciting. Like a, a window has opened into some possibilities. Like life does not have to be samey and dull like I thought. This is when all the 80s music is coming, you know, like and the lyrics, fools rush in where wise men never go. Oh, well, that's true enough. I don't think, honestly, her mood, I don't think it is all Axel or even mostly him as him. You know, I think it's like that was an exciting adventure and flirtation. This guy thought I was cute and I thought he was cute and it was a thing. But I don't think it was just the boy thing. I think it was the cage has opened a little and the realization of her life. I mean, she as far as she knows, she'll never see him again. Like, you can't focus on that guy. He's going to be gone. So I don't think she's like in love with the guy that was standing by the wall. I think it's more general than that. Yeah, she's in love with the feeling that she has. It's it's her freshman year of college. It's the first fun yeah. weekend at college. They get back at full light to a committee. Good morning. They brazen it out, <laughs> says Marie Antoinette, <laughs> as if they didn't sneak out. But really, you know, we're the boss of you. The only person that can get mad at us is the king. <laughs> uh, wait, you have a whole other kind of faces on. It's not like anyone's mad at us for sneaking out, so... What is it? The king has fallen ill. Louis says, is it serious? And Mercy says, smallpox. And that's probably a good place for us to stop this particular episode. Yeah. What? You say what? <laughs> I, know. I know. Honestly, it's just getting too long. And we had a choice between deliver or do not deliver, frankly. <laughs> so, that's right. <laughs> so um, we have chosen to deliver. And... um. And so we will provide you in the show notes with the links that I referenced throughout this, like might as well link you to Susie and the Banshee's Cities and Dust, so you can all hear my favorite song when I was a small punk rocker. <laughs> I actually wrote that down when you said it. I was like, oh, I got to find that. I also have, just for this section, um, there's probably more for the next section, I would be surprised if there weren't. I have um, the Baroque Dance Channel on YouTube. It's not called that. It's called something else. Anyway, <laughs> I was just going to write that down. I'm like, because no. all I wrote was Baroque Dancers YouTube. So I was like, oh, there's yeah, a Yeah, I'll just send it. <laughs> and then also um, from royalcentral.co.uk, I have Marie Antoinette's Bridal Journey, part one and part two. It's a blog that kind of tells you what happened because it was so brief in this movie mm -hmm. that you would think it just was a blink of an eye and it was, in fact, a very long, drawn-out type of scenario. Also, on AmericanDuchess.com, they talk about the many types of late 18th century dresses and the difference between robe à l'anglais with this, all this in the back and the polonaise, you know, I'll let her get into it. And then also um, Roger Ebert's review of this movie when it came out, which was very positive. And and it doesn't really have any spoilers for the end, although if you're this far, you are probably an aficionado. So I doubt there'll be any spoilers there for you. And in the time between now and when we come back, you can go listen to the Marie Antoinette podcast. There's two episodes of that, too, but they're 
lined up together already there for, waiting for you. <laughs> Are there two? Yes, there was two episodes. Well, there's the very first episode we ever did that we haven't taken down, even though it makes us cringe. And then we revisited Marie Antoinette and it's two parts. I forgot the last one was a two parter. Of course, these episodes that Susan is referring to can be found on our other podcast, The History Chicks, where we talk about famous women and not so famous in history, both fictional and factual. We've also got, although she doesn't appear in this movie, we did reference her, we have got Madame Pompadour on there too. So take a listen and we hope you stick around and work your way through the back catalog. So thanks for joining us for part one of Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette from 2006. More awaits around the corner with part two. Don't worry, we're not going to leave you hanging for a month. And we look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for listening. Bye. And you don't really see it until a long ways in the movie. But um, in real life, her actual, the guy that helped her out, Ambassador Mercy, Mercy, the ambassador to France, Ambassador Mercy, 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 are we calling him Mercy or Mercy? Oh, in real life, she did get the dog back. So yay. Sorry, I just said two very bad words to myself. Okay. Okay. <laughs>